Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Okay, so hi, I'm Anna David. This is the After Party Pod, and my guest this week was slash is Greg Barrett. And um, what a cool, interesting guy this is. So I first became aware of him, I think it was when um, He's Just Not That Into You became a thing. You guys know the thing it was on. Sex in the City, Miranda said it, and then everybody got super into the idea that, you know, when a guy didn't call you and you were making excuses like, oh, he's just really busy or he's really tired, you were just making excuses. And when I say you, I mean me and, and you, I think. Um, and so that became a thing, and then it became a bigger thing because Greg uh, and his writing partner for the book, Liz Tuchilo, who was a writer on Sex and the City, they then wrote the book, He's Just Not That Into You, and that came out in 2004, and that was a freaking sensation, and it was um, everywhere. It was literally everywhere, and it became more of a meme even than a book, and, um, and then that happened, and then it was made into that Drew Barrymore movie, remember? Or maybe she just produced it. I'll be totally honest, I didn't see it, but it was a hit, you know, it was a hit. And Bradley Cooper was in it and, and all sorts of Ben Affleck, you know, good guys. And so so then he he had talk shows, but he was already a well-established comedian. And he had, you know, Comedy Central shows and the whole thing. But then he started writing these books with his wife, um, you know, kind of along the same, you know, lines of thinking of he's just not that into you. And, and that was a whole thing. And... And so I became aware of him not only because of because I you know resented all his success, um, but also because we seemed to have friends in common. People I knew would mention him as, "Oh, this Greg is such a great guy. He's a really good friend of mine." And I didn't understand why he was not a friend of mine, really. And um, and so I, and what I always admired about him is you know his ability to sort of take a pretty profound. Uh, universal truths and 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 deliver them in a funny way because I think that's the way medicine goes down best. And but I also liked that he, I knew he was sober because he'd mention it in passing, but he didn't make a big thing about it. You know, I make a big thing about it, and I so I therefore have respect for people who are not ashamed of it, not hiding it, but not needing to lead with it either. And so I figured. 
I'm just going to reach out to this guy, you know, and just say, hey, um, can I interview you? And that's what I did. And uh, luckily for me and for you, he said yes. And we sat down and it was great. I'm not going to say it was the best interview I, I've ever had, but it might have been the best interview I've ever had. I'm totally setting myself up, for, you know, setting your expectations really, really high, which is never a good idea. But, I, I, you know, who knows if for you guys it'll be that great, but it was for me. And, um, you know, it turns out he and I are from the same hometown and, um, you know, the coincidences just kept coming. Coincident I, I, oh my God, it's so weird to lose command of the English language while recording yourself. So anyway, um, he is my guest. We talked about, um, so many, many things. I hope you enjoy. I hope you enjoyed hearing that theme song. I know you did. Seth Rothschild wrote it. Um, but you know that already because you're just a faithful listener to this podcast. This is the fourth one. We're in season one, guys. Um, thank you so much for downloading, for listening. Um, I'm going to thank you in advance for writing nice comments on iTunes um, because I, I think you're going to do that. That's how much faith I have in you. And so please um, enjoy this podcast with Greg Barrett and um, tell your friends and uh, we'll talk soon. I, and I'm just like a paranoid person, so I do a little double record situation. Um, I love it. Right? Yeah. I've had a lot of experiences of recording and coming back and going, that brilliant thing that just happened is nowhere to be found. Oh, um, so, yeah, so walking the room, you and Dave said, um, let's do a podcast. Dave said, let's do a podcast, and I'm like, Marin's already doing one. I don't want to do one. So this was when? Uh, well, it's 160 episodes ago, so almost two years, right? 52 weeks in a year, so 100 and, yeah, so like over two years. And, um, and I didn't want to do one, I was just in a, I was just in a period of my career where like I was just saying no to everything. No, no, I'm not going to do that. And Dave, and I, and Dave sort of made the point of like, well, it's not for you, it's for people that like you who... Can't, you're not you're not on a TV show anymore. Right. You know, you're not writing books. Apparently, you've given that up. Not. All this stuff. So why don't you just do a podcast with me and just see what happens? And so and he goes and it'll give us time to spend together because we're friends. But like I generally don't see people if I'm not working with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's sort of what having a family is. Yes. Right. I, I right. hear. I read. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And also like I because I don't drink. Yeah. You know, um, I don't. So I'm not social in that way. So I like right. my friendships based around, like, part of the reason I'm in a band is because I fucking love hanging out with the other dudes and playing music. Right, right, that's, right. Like, like, half of it is just being friends with Mike Eisenstein. Right. And then, and then, and so with Dave, that's what it was. Like, he, we just sort of rekindled our friendship, and... Uh, and how do you know him? Just from the comedy world? We started, I, when, uh, the first time I saw him do stand-up in San Francisco, because I've known him since we, we started there... I adored him. I was like, he is hilarious. I was, I was like the only guy that got him, I think. Right. And I walked right up to him and said, if you want to know where other open mics are and stuff, I will totally help you out. Because I've been doing it maybe a year. Right. And, uh, and then we just became friends, you know? And I just liked him. He just makes me laugh. There are just certain people, regardless of their personality, where I'm like, oh, you just make me laugh. You know, I used to live with David. I live with, I've lived with difficult funny people my whole life. I yeah, dated I Cross was my roommate. Right. I dated Janine Garofalo. 
You know what I mean? Like funny I, and difficult is a common combo, I would say. Yeah, with a lot of them. Yeah. With a lot of comics, funny and difficult. But I mean, even people, I, I know because I used to prioritize funny over anything else in, in terms of the people I dated, in terms of the people I was friends with. Right. That was all that mattered to me. Right. And I realized in friendships, it really, and dating, it really is not the thing to prioritize if you want to have like a, you know, sort of emotionally sober experience. It's, it's tough. It yeah. is tough. I mean, I you know, I think all people are challenging. I don't think there's a I don't think there's a kind, you know, because I I dated for a really long time and uh and I went out with comics and I went out with people that were civilians, I suppose, and I went right. out with like big fat girls and I went out with really skinny girls and I went out with drug addicts and I went out with straight edge girls right, and like right. I did everybody and it just sort of like you know, it's it's really personal. Your that connection is incredibly personal when you finally achieve it. You know, yeah. and even then, you know, it still can be difficult. very difficult. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there just is no like utopian match, but there are people that are that make you more awesome, and you make them more awesome. Right. Right. You know. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I'm totally going in no order at all, but yeah, I just started reading. It's a fucking date. Oh, yeah. I never, you know, obviously, okay, so when, I will tell you, the truth is, when He's Just Not That Into You came out, I think that my reaction to that when I read it was like one of resentment, because I was like, you are telling me that these, you know, and I was still in the justifying and kind mm -hmm. of controlling phase, and I was just like, no, if he doesn't, that doesn't mean that, you know, like, it doesn't always mean that he's not into me. I had, I had a, a like, I mean, I'm not going to say a violent reaction, mm -hmm. but I'm going to say, like, I had a hostile reaction sure. to it. Yeah. And it's interesting because as I grow older and thus more honest with myself mm -hmm. about my uh, my belief that I could create the world I wanted if only I controlled and managed it well right. enough, um, the more I see how much that message actually was true and I hated it because it was true. I think that there's, like I read somewhere that Lena Dun Dunham said that she hate read the book, you know, right. and then she ended up actually kind of liking it, but then also doubted the validity of TV writers giving advice, you know, and I, I had all those concerns when we wrote it because, um, you know, we really just sort of did it on a lark right. and, um, and I don't like, you know, I remember I, you know, I was in a relationship where I threw Mars and Venus across the room. I was like, get right. this, I don't need this fucking twats. I don't, you know, and, and I hated the rules. Right. And, and so I get that. Like, that's a, that's a occupational hazard when you give advice. People are going to be like, you know what? Where the, who the fuck are you? And also, but the, what you talked about, what you just mentioned is it, it, to me, it's a really like the message is so much broader in that you just don't have, you don't have control. Right. And when you're trying to control the message that you're getting and change it for yourself, you're only really fooling yourself. And so it's the book that's trying to give you permission to like, you know, just take that for what it is and 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 deal with it deal with what they're telling you as opposed to what you hope's happening. Right. And then know you're better than that. You're better than that. Right, right. I think what can happen is because well, and also I was just thinking as you were saying that that it's just a fucking date is kind of saying the same thing. You're saying the same thing. You're saying you can't control. You can't make this into. Let me tell you what you said, and I've just started the book. But is no, that I true? Like it. No, it's is true. It it's, uh, yeah, yeah, because it's all. I mean, it's not any different in some respects to any twelve-step program where it's like you right. just don't get to change right. the universe. You get to control your response to it. And what a more elegant response would there be than you know what? This just isn't for me. Sorry. Right. Or right. 
you know, um, you know what? Dating is the way people actually get to know each other. So if I give into that, try and not re re like reconfigure the mating ritual and give myself permission to have, have sex whenever I feel like it, even though I know in the long run that might not pay off. Right. Because you cannot argue vetting another human being. Right. right. If you're going to let somebody in you, you should spend a quality amount of time with them. That does not make you a prude. That does not. It just means that you value that experience right. and you're not just putting it down there as like, well, it's just no different than going to dinner. Well, no, it's a lot different than going to dinner. Right, right, right. You know? Well, I mean, that's sort of brought up so many things. Like, so what do you think is the, I mean, this is so not where we're supposed to be going. It doesn't matter. It's fine. But like, what do you think is the right amount of time to wait? Before? It's not different than addiction. I'll tell you why, because it's, it's a process addiction, sex is. Right, right, right. Right? So... I don't know what the right time is. It's personal. You have to feel it out. But you, it's like, you know how when people go, you never feel bad after you go for a run. You may yeah. not want to go on a run, right. but every time you're glad you did it. So you're never going to feel bad if you waited longer True. rather than sooner. Right. Right? Right. Because you will know somebody better. And it'll make the quality of the sex better or really clear that it's not going any further. Right. But you will have more information. It's just like, it's almost like, how do you argue against more information about what you're getting yourself into? I, I totally, totally agree. However, I think that women will play a game where they think, if I wait to have sex with this guy, I'm going to make him fall in love with me, kind of. Like, it's just another effort to control and manage. And I mean, we're basically talking about women who are dating douchebags, so who cares, because it's right. not going to work out anyway. Mm -hmm. But like, sort of sort of putting off the inevitable, oh, he's going to blow me off once I give it up. So I'm just going to, I'm going to tease and I'm going to dance around it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Right, but I think, so, but you're saying, they don't want to make somebody fall in love with them or they think, do want they're um, using they, the lack of having sex as a method to try to control the person you know it's sort of like it, it's sort of like the, if you look at the rules like if you look at the, the book the rules the problem with I, it i barely can the, but the, yeah. the problem with it is everything they're saying is right their reason for saying it is wrong right, right so they're they're asking you to manipulate the situation as opposed to those things happening naturally because your self-esteem and your self-worth and your life is so buoyant that you don't have time to call somebody right back back right away right. and you can't make a date for next saturday and you're not going to cancel the thing right, with your family right, 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 right. because everything in your life is so well prioritized that right. you are just unavailable for all the right reasons right that's brilliant and yeah. that's appealing because yeah. then, because then that person is attracted to you because they're like, fuck, this person has a life and I can barely get involved in it. Right. That's so true. That's right. So, so that's true. it. If you are, if you are just unnaturally waiting for something to happen, if you're just putting somebody off because you're like, well, they'll like me more if I wait. Right. 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 It's never going to work. They're gonna, it's going to read. People yeah. are so, so much more intuitive than we give them credit for. They know. know what you're doing I know. most I, of the time. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that what can happen, um, and, and like, especially I think I'm just going to say with addicts and alcoholics is what happens is, uh, if you're a woman, a man comes along and the brain says, this is the last man on earth. Cause it's got that black and white thinking, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like, um, and sort of, yes, I've got, you know, responsibilities and a job and friends and all this stuff, but fuck all that. I'm going to prioritize this and that no matter how much that woman is acting like she's not prioritizing it because she's waiting the requisite amount of time, mm -hmm. people can smell it. I think they can. And I also think like, but it's also not a bad thing to not make it a game and say to the person, I, I just can't do this right away. Right. 
I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And and of course I'm being cautious because I think you're cool. Right. But you know you're going to like you're going to maybe get under the bra tonight, but that's probably as far as it's going to go. And right. I'm going to kick you out before it's too early. And then maybe you know it's like yeah, it's like anything else where you get little pieces of it at a time. I mean, all I know is my experience was that's what happened with the woman I ended up marrying. Right. Right. You know, so that you know I think is part of what. That's what where my information comes from. Is like, well, that was the experience I had. Right. You know, because um, I just know most of the time when I slept with somebody too soon, it was too soon. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't mean, you know, then there when you when if you come out the, like if you come out in the, it, it, for me to say that, then people bristle. They're like, well, that means you know, women want to have sex just like men want to have sex, and they can have sex. I, I'm not against that. Right. But just then be honest with yourself. Like, I just want to fuck, and that's all I want to do. But said I mean certainly there are relationships where the people have sex right away and they blossom into relationships totally. that happens absolutely you know absolutely um, but it's it's that thing of like the exception and the rule it's like look yeah. as a general rule right there's the kid that gets pulled out of college and gets to play baseball for the rest of his career right. but for the most part most right. people you know end up in the minor leagues and they get in it you know what I mean like right, right, right. like the, and if you look at yourself as not the exception but the rule, yeah. you'll be, you'll actually find yourself being pleased more often than not because you didn't expect that to happen, as opposed to like I'm going to change the game because I'm so awesome. True. You know what I mean? You can't make someone believe you're awesome even if you are until they've experienced how awesome you are, and they can only do that by you having a certain amount of self-esteem because that's what people are turned on by. Yeah, that's so interesting too. I mean, it's like everything you say pops seventeen thoughts into my head, and I'm going to go with number. For. Okay. Um, and it's the one that, you know, women will date douchebags and go, well, I know he's been historically terrible, but I'm so great. Sure. The, so the thinking is, I'm so great, I'm going to change him, when really the opposite is true. The esteem right. is so low that basically you've set yourself up for this sure. like self-fulfilling prophecy that will it continue to negate your self-esteem. I think both men and women can get themselves, especially addicts and especially codependents, like can get really into the rescue fantasy right. of taking somebody and taming them or fixing them or right, right. turning them some certain way or right. manning them up or whatever it is that that person's deficits are, you know? does happen. I mean, you you see, you know, things with times when that happens, but it's like, it is, I love that idea of try to think of yourself as the rule, not the exception, because... And, yeah, and they, and they only, it only happens if the person is willing to change them, you know. It's yeah, no it's different. a timing it's thing, no really. But it's also, but it's also, it's also like knowing you're an addict. Yeah. At some point, like it's, you know, how many interventions have you been to? How many times have you, you know, how many times have you seen that not work? You know, even right. with this, this, you know, this Corey Monteith thing where everyone's like, right. well, he went to rehab and it didn't work. Well, that's right. not how it works. Right. He right. wasn't willing. He right. didn't submit. He didn't turn himself over. And in relationships, right. you really have to turn yourself over. You really have to like, just turn it over and go, I don't control this. I don't control you. I only get my feelings. Right. I can tell you what they are, but you know what? And I, this is what happened with Amir and I, where I'd be like, look. I love you. You may not be there yet. You don't have to say it. Right. I'm not that's in, that's it. in it's a fucking right. date. Yeah. Because, because, and then she had the time to go, okay. You know, Mira doesn't come, come to things as quickly as I do ever about anything. Did that feel super risky to say that knowing that she might not be there? Um, no. Cause I was at that point, I was really steeped in my program. And right. so I was really comfortable with those ideas. Right. Right. I was so, like, I was excited about trying the idea of really trusting the universe and going, here's where I'm at. 
I'm not going to try and make it so that we both say it at the same time. Right. But I'm, you know, my heart's pounding and I'm sweating and I'm excited and I have to get this out because I do. You right. Know? And how long did it take her to come around? Like, a, you know, a week or so. Like two hours. Not that, yeah. Um, no, it was not that long. And it took her a while to stop dating. I, I stopped dating first, you know. It was a, but I was like, I was like, you know what? I, it's just going to be bullshit because I don't, I don't want to go spend two hours with somebody else. You know, right. dating is complicated enough as it is, so to go fake it, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, when you're doing it just because you don't want to, like, you don't want, don't want to think about person number one, all that does is make you think about person number one more. Totally. You know? Totally. But it was interesting. I mean, this is totally off topic, but when you said be the, be the rule, not the exception, I was thinking about when I first started as a writer and um, I was like, before I'd ever written a novel, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to write a book of essays. Candace Bushnell did a book of essays, and I remember this agent that I, the first agent I ever talked to going, yeah, she did that. That doesn't mean anything, you know? And I think that a lot of people look at life through that lens. They say, that happened so it can happen to me, rather than that happened, and we all acknowledge that that was a, you know, a strange event that, you know, is unlikely to occur again. That's right. And it was, but it was actually her, it was like, it was the same thing with our book, where it was like, we wrote this thing for fun, for really, like, no money, and... And, you know, half, like, it was really, like, a debate whether it was going to be in the humor section or the self-help section. But right. felt like there was, you know, and it just happened. Right. And other people have come along and tried to, like, do that right. thing. And it's like, the universe doesn't need another one and they don't need, they don't need something that's disingenuous. They can just smell it. They know, they know what it is. You know, I've been going through this thing with my managers where they're like, you know, Louis has this show and it's sort of about him and it's really about Louis and Mark Marin has this show and... You know, you should probably try something like that. I'm like, but that's done twice already. Right, right, right. So right? the chances of it working right. are actually less good. Right. You know, when Dave and I decided to podcast, I go, we're not going to interview anybody. We'll occasionally have a guest on. We'll do it in segments, which nobody does because you don't have to take a break. I find because... your segments weird. I like it, but I find it weird. Here's the, here was the tip we got. Somebody goes, look, an hour, talking for an hour can be awesome and it can be awful. But if they know that this is going to end soon, something cool might be coming up. And you guys change speed all the time, and 20 minutes makes you have to get that topic done with. Right. So, right, right. like, we gotta wrap this up, we gotta bring this home, or we got stuck on a shitty story, let's end it. Do you have a timer going? Is that how you do it? No, it's like an internal clock. Right. Sometimes right. it's been two segments. We have done shows where it's like just been one because we're just amped. Right. But it, um, it resets because what if someone just doesn't wanna hear anymore about. Like, what if it's just a filthy... Like, sometimes we're just like, you know, let's talk about picking shit up with our buttholes. Right. And, and so but, you can skip... But can you skip easily? No, but you, well, you can. Yeah, you can slide the cursor, sure. Right. You can move it. But it's in the inexact science. But you can find it. Right, right, right. I know. I skip around with Marin. Sometimes I really want to hear his monologue at the beginning, and sometimes I breeze right through it. When I know he's going into one of his long right, right, talking right. ads, I move past it, and I right. find where the interview is, you know? Right, it's, right. It's, it's, but I love it, and I keep coming back, because I get to do it however I want. That's the other thing. It's cool about a podcast. I get to listen to it exactly the way I want to. Well, that's the other reason that I found the breaks weird, because anybody can stop it whenever they want. I like the breaks. I know I'm not sounding like I like the breaks, but no, these, were my, fine. these were my questions. We do that stylistically so that we don't get bored or run out of gas. There are times where we run out of gas and then there's no right thought, and it's like, we'll be right back. Well, also, because you guys are expending, especially you, a lot of energy. <laughs> It's yes. like, I think, more energy than the average podcaster. We, we get pretty energetic. Yeah. We get pretty energetic. And then sometimes we're violent. Sometimes it's silly. Sometimes it can be morose. I mean, the kind of cool thing about it is we never wanted it to be anything. I mean, it's, uh, you know, sometimes they're like shares. 
Right. You know, because we're, we're both sort of program guys. So sometimes right. it's just like, we got to get this off our chest or, you know, whatever. And, you know, sometimes it's super indulgent. Right. You know, right. I mean, it's, but it, but it isn't the, the thing it's not, I think is disingenuous. Right. Another thing that you guys said on the podcast, why you do the breaks is that you don't know, we don't know where podcasts are going to end up. And so maybe in 10 years, like they'll automatically come with cars or something. I think Dave said, mm -hmm. and you know, and they'll want it in segments. Who knows? Right. Which you felt kind know. of exciting. Like, you know, it's like the nascent stages and it is the nascent stages of podcasting. Well, I think people love talk radio and I think it got just overrun with just right wing lunacy and there just right. wasn't. And then, you know, morning talk shows became sort of rote and there, I think people like, I think people like the conversations sometimes they hear on NPR, but they prefer if it wasn't being had with people from NPR. Right, right. You know, I think, I think that, and there's an intimacy with this stuff that, you know, you don't find anywhere well, else. that's the thing. I hate talk radio. I've never liked it at all. And I'm obsessed with podcasts. And I, yeah. I think the reason I am is that as a writer, I've always sort of overshared and um, don't know any other way to do it. And that even puts a pejorative label on it. Who knows? I've always been very open. Yeah. To, and there's something about podcasting that makes me feel like being that way is okay. Totally. You know? No, it's, it's, and it, it, especially if you, if you do something like, you know, for me as a stand up or um, even with the band, like people then now have this personal connection to you that is so much deeper than, like there are times when I go to do stand up where I go, this feels like fake right. on some level because it's not in the moment and it's right. not off the cuff and it's not exactly what's happening right now. So I try to sort of bring that, infuse it into my stand up. I know people like the stand up, but it's, but the connection they have with you is crazy. It's like if there's two or three people that like the podcast in the audience, it'll change the whole show. Yeah, yeah. These are so on your side and they're ready for you to go and they cheer and they're excited and the whole and then the rest of the crowd thinks, so I guess we're supposed to like this guy. Right, right. No, it's true. There's, um, and I interviewed Marin and I was talking to him about how, how people have dreams about him and I've had, like I know him outside, um, you know, never had a dream about him before I started listening to the podcast, have had nine dreams that he's been in. Really? Yeah, and I was like, why do you think that is? Because he'll read sometimes, you know, his emails right, or right, those right. people who had dreams about him. And he's like, well, I think it's, you know, people who are listening to it before they go to sleep and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't. I'm listening in the car. But there, I think there's something specific about Mark Marin that penetrates the id. Like, somehow. They, but like, are, they, are they, like, sexual dreams? No. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, that sounded like a, like a wholesome lie. Like I felt no, like like that like no, the, 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 the they, voice went up like three red. No, I okay like I you know not he's not gonna hear this. I have nothing to worry about. But like, um, no. But what I'm saying is like no. I have in some dreams like we've been dating. Not all, mm -hmm. but I'm just he's there. He's been a character in my dream um, as a direct result of listening to his podcast sure. and the way that that feels intimate. Sure, you know. Yeah. No, I think that's, I don't think that's uncommon because, and, and especially his podcast, um, because he's pretty candid. And also I just think, you know, Mike Mark's always been, you know, for some people, you know, sort of sexy, you know what I mean? Like as far as the stand-up goes, he's not. Yeah, I never saw him that way. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's something about his vulnerability. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's mixed with his with his self assurance and his mania about himself. Yeah, you know he's got that thing where like you never feel like you're totally in with him. You know, I mean for me, so it's like 
it's like I always he kind of scares me a little bit because of that he intimidates me because I never like no matter how many conversations I've had with him I never feel like I'm 100% in you know yeah he's interesting I think it's probably best if you if you're 100% in if you're not that interested in him yeah 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 exactly that's how, that's how Mark plays that's yeah. how it's Mark if you're like Whatever, Mark. Right. Uh, I have a lovely friendship with him. I've, right. You know, we've been, you know, I've known him for a really long time. I liked him and everybody hated him. I didn't like him, but I, I, I felt for him. Right. I understood his struggle. Right. right. And, um, and I liked him, you know, um, and, and he's been really good to me through my struggles. And so, you know, we won't talk for a long time and then I'll get a text like, are you doing okay? You know, I heard this thing that like, he's sort of aware of you all the time. Right. Like he's paying attention, but you don't right. know that. And then he'll right. ask you a specific question and... And I'm like, and he's very sweet, and it's very sincere. Yeah, you know, it's very genuine, and it, you know, and it, the thing you learn as you get older is like, I, people put a lot of um, precedent or um, uh, pre, um, parameters on what a friendship is. Yeah. But I think friendships take a lot of different shapes. They like, do. You know, sometimes my wife's like, "How can you be friends with someone on Twitter?" I like, well, because they seem to care about me more than other. You know, they they seem interested. They're listening. They're writing back and saying specific things. Right. And I know the level of friendship, as I know, I know that it's not like my friendship with my friend Eric right. but it is a friendship it's something yeah well yeah and you guys have talked about that on the show it's like you're, you're sort of on Facebook like you know sure we're all friends if you listen to the show you're a friend whereas Dave's like you're not my friend even if you are my friend yeah I mean and he's I mean there's something there's something true about that too I mean you, you yeah. can't extend yourself to everybody it's not fair and people are going to get their feelings hurt and you you, you know um, but I think it's like in where my career went and and when those people showed up in my life like if it were not for them I don't know what I'd be doing so you know when my band goes and does a Kickstarter or a Indiegogo campaign and we raise $27,000 well that's you know that's those guys yeah. so it's like yeah. they give a shit yeah. and they and it matters and payment so, is required for friendships that's yeah. right Marin. well I mean <laughs> but you do you are overwhelmed with like oh these yeah. people are rooting for me yeah that's what it feels like yeah it feels like they're rooting for you and you know I do the same and so I do like I do write people back and I do yeah. I will interact on Twitter as much as I can yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as a woman, it's, it does start to get weirder when you do that stuff. Um, oh, yeah. And things can get very, very strange. But, yes, of course. But I know, I used to um, I used to have a Facebook page. My Facebook page, I accepted everybody. And I was, I was, a, I was a dating expert as well mm -hmm. who didn't go to any kind of school for it. I was on this G4's Attack of the Show for three mm -hmm. years. Yeah, yeah. And so, I watched some of that. It was good. And so I would... Um, you know, I would say, you know, yes, accept everybody as a friend. And what I noticed then, like if I did anything, it would be like, Anna, you're so great, you're so awesome, blah, blah, blah. And then one day I said, I only want my friends on here. So I deleted whatever, 4,500 people. And now I put things up and nobody gives a shit. <laughs> like my friends are like, right. yeah, of course, so what? You know? Right, right, right. Yeah, no, there is, I mean, it's it's also hard to kind of figure out what, what are you supposed to do? How is the relationship supposed to be? What's the appropriate right. thing, you know? On the Greg Barron fan page, nothing really happens. On the Walking the Room fan page, for a while, it just never wasn't constantly filled with dialogue. Right. You know, on the Rainy Monarchs, it's somewhere in the middle. But, you know, it's a band, and unless it's music, there's not yeah, a lot yeah. to respond to. They don't really care that you got new shirts. Right. But the, um, 
So, and then you sort of wonder, and like we just did a, I just did a Reddit this morning, which I've never done. Yeah, I saw you tweeting about that. No, and I did, the, what did you do? I tried to click on the link and I was driving and it didn't work. Um, it, you, it just cost, it's just an active message Did board. you set it up? You were like, you and Dave or just you? No, it was Amir and I. We did it for okay. the book. And uh, our, publish, our publisher was like, Could you, would you mind doing one? You for know, which book? For It's a Fucking Date? For It's Just a Fucking Date. Okay. So we, because um, it came out on Monday. And um, so we. Wait, what do you mean it came out on Monday? Because it's been out. So it was only out in Europe. Okay. It was only out in the UK. Okay. Because, um, partly because people here, at least when we wrote the book, were going on dates. It's really for people that like, it's really for like the culture of people that don't date. Like in, 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 in Australia and in England, people just fucking get drunk. But increasingly people don't go on dates. So that's now good. nobody's going on dates. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that yeah. was the thing. So we thought, yeah. well, fuck it. Let's put it out here. Okay. And I was sort of like... I was sort of done. Like, I, I was done after the talk show. Like, that's when that book came out. I was like, I don't want to write. I don't want to have anything. I don't want to hate all this. You really? Yeah. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's boring, and it's not art, and it's it's not interesting, and um, and it's the same five questions all the time. And, right. And right. there's so many people that, like, jump into the game, and, and I go, it, you know, like... There's also something about being an addict where I'm like, you know, I'm not giving this away for fun or for free. I'm charging for it. And it feels disingenuous. And also, I'm not a fucking therapist. And right. I've been to therapy. I've been to really good therapy. And I'm like, you know, some of my little curt, quick answers are fun for dating. But, like, as far as, like, bigger life problems, I don't know. I don't want to send people down a wrong path. And, you know, yeah. I think people understand where the message is coming from. But I just got burned out on it. I didn't like it. It's I mean, I'm not just saying this. I, I think it's a shame because, you know, I think that those messages, people want them. And to be able to do it in a funny way right. is well, rare. I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, that's what people keep saying. And so, but also you, it's like, um, it's like with a band. It's like, how many records can they make? You know, we have three books. We have the, you know, get out of it, get over it and, and go on a date, you know? Yeah. And it's sort of like, and you've already said it. There's, there's, the messages are repeated. There's only so much to say about it, and but that doesn't mean it's like in a twelve-step meeting we repeat the same things over and over again, and that's because we need to hear them over and over again. I agree. I but agree. still, it doesn't mean it's rewarding to to write it over and over. That again. was really part of it too. Was like I just wasn't. That's never what I wanted to do. Right. So that's where the struggle came in. That's when I, you know, right. like I couldn't. I I got in. I came down here with a band. In '93. So you're from, from San Francisco? Yeah. Okay, I'm. No, too, we by grew the up way. in the same place. What do you mean we grew up in the same place? We grew up in Marin. Where did you grow up? I exactly? grew up in Ross. I went to Redwood High School. Shut up. Yeah, but I'm a, I'm a million years older than you. Not exactly. Nobody's a million years older than me. You're seven years older than me because it was like your birthday, like last week, right? But my birthday was Sunday. I turned fifty. Yeah, I just outed my age. I, I've been seventeen years. Um, you are adorable. Okay, so wow. Yes, I we did not same. know you were yeah, from yeah, Marin. Yeah, yeah, we were both from Marin. Oh, you did it right though. I went to Branson. God, I hated it. My I really parents wanted me to go my parents wanted me to go to to Mount Tam. Yeah. Mount Tamapaya School for Boys. Yeah, it was called it was called the Branson School and the the Catherine Branson School, Mount Tamapaya School, and Catherine Branson died. The KBS when I was a, MTS. Yeah, but then she died when I was a freshman, so we became TBS. Terrible name. Terrible school. I'm gonna be honest. If you're listening and you're from the Branson School, I think you're terrible. Well, it's it it was the I went to Redwood because uh, I wanted to play football, and you know there was no football. At, no, we couldn't even throw a, a, like a ball back and forth. Well, also was like lacrosse, and, and it was like lacrosse. We like were it was, terrible it was like the, it was like the West Coast version of a of a oh, yeah. East Coast prep school. Yeah, but it was gorgeous. Yeah, and it was a lot of super rich kids, and there was a lot of drugs, and yeah, you know, it was like yeah. a, it was you know, and not that Redwood was. 
pristine or anything, but I just liked the public school experience. And it was so much cooler. I actually really wanted to go to TAM. That was my dream. Right, high Tam. school, yeah. And Tam, when we were, when I, anyway, so the, yeah, so we grew up in the same area, and then I came down here in 93 to play in a band. Right. And do stand-up. I was doing both things at once, and then the band sort of didn't work out, and then the stand-up didn't work out, and a couple of relationships didn't work out, and I got sober. Right. And just So what year was that? So my first round, my first run through sobriety started in uh, 96. Okay. 96, sober, into it. You were into being sober. Into it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like, went to meetings and did the deal and yeah. really, like, and really got it and got, like, within a year I had an HBO special and I lost a bunch of weight and, you know, um, was doing the, you know, dating and, like, you know, like, dating in a better way and I wasn't sleeping around as much and, you know, I was, like, figuring it out. You yeah. Know? I had a really, you know... Um, and it was really cool. And then, like, within five years, I met Amira. And, and so, during that time... Years. Okay, and so, how exactly, like, did did the Sex and the City relationship start? So, um, I I was a part of that, um, uh, what was the burgeoning alternative comedy yes, scene. Yes, so, sort of Largo kind of Largo, thing. but even before that, it was a place called Don Cabaret. Yeah, the, yeah, and yeah, you're right. still doing that now. Right, right. But you it was at Luna again. Park, yeah. and it was, like, where Garofalo and Cross and all the Mr. Show... And then Michael Patrick King, right? And all those people. Michael and I just became oh, friends. I didn't know Michael Patrick King was involved. That's how in he that. got. That's how he got. That's how he got Sex in the City. So he what? he was working in. He was a writer, and he was working on Sybil, I think. And he hadn't come out of the closet yet. And he had just he had, was in a comedy team back in New York. And then he then he came out. And then he was doing talking about being gay on stage. He was super funny. And we just liked each other. I and never then, knew that guy was a comedian. Okay. Yeah. So then I got an HBO special and HBO said we really like Michael Patrick King we'd like him to direct your special you the basically made sex in the city happen you're telling me well no but like he he yeah I mean he was in a relationship with them and then Darren wrote the thing and wow. wrote the pilot and Michael went in and really like changed it around a little bit and sort of gave it its thing and the rest is history so then after the show had been on for a year he came and said do you want to come and work with me and so were you um were you in the writer's room i mean because yeah. like consultant can mean a lot of like, yeah so i would come in twice a week and and they would write out here and then fly back to new york and shoot the show so right. i was only with the i was only with the writing staff during the formation of the seat like we would form the whole year and then everyone would be given episodes right but it was literally like you know two or three weeks of like woodshedding just like what's a soulmate and have you ever eaten you know talk about you know blowjobs and Broken up with someone on a post-it note. Post-it note. Uh, that was. I was there when that was brought up. You know. And so um, Cindy Shupak is is a friend and somebody yeah. I'm a great fan of. Um, so that sounds super fun because like you're there and Cindy Shupak and it just sounds like yeah amazing. and Jenny Bix and like it was a, like a great Judy Gold the late Judy Gold and like there it was it was really um, um, it was really awesome. And so you Toll. said. Not Judy Gold. Toll. Well, because I, I know there is a comedian named Judy Gold, and I was like, yeah. I literally read about her show Toll. this week. Did she die today? No, 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 Toll. Okay, good, good, good. Um, so you said in one of these sessions, you know, when a guy, you know. No, no, no. I was, I was, no, it wasn't even like that. It was um, one of the girls was dating a guy and asked me during lunch, um, uh, you know, can I talk to you? you know, just off the record. And I was like, sure. And she was like, you know, I've seen this guy. And last night I asked him to come up and have sex. And he took a pat. He said, no. Right. And I was like, well, that's not good. Yeah. And so, and then, um, 
and she goes, well, he had, you know, he had something to do, and I, you know, I can't, like, I've retold the story so many times that I'm sure I've changed it. Right, who knows what really happened. But essentially, I said, you know, that's just, he just doesn't like you. He does not into you, because that's just not how it works. Right. You know what I mean? Like, if I like you, I want to have sex with you the first time I meet you, and then, and then probably until you invite me up. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So... She was like, I don't, you know, that he might just be nervous. And I was like, nervous about fucking what? Like, who wants to fuck a guy that's nervous to fuck you? Right. Like, right, then we right. got into that, and then right. we brought it into the writer's room, and then we all talked about it for a couple of days, and then um, they put it in one of the scripts. Right. So, Miranda, like, I remember that episode yeah. well. And so, and so then, what happened? So, Liz Ticillo, who was the co author of the book, was like, there's a, we should do a book, like, when, when the show's over, when the season's over, and, the, and that was the end of the series. Um, that was the there, last that season? That was the last year, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Remember there was like the... I can't remember because my memory's horrible, but like there was like two parts. There was like six shows and then six more. I don't, don't know remember. But anyway, it was at the end. Yeah. And and uh, and she kept saying, I think there's a cool book idea in this. And I was like, I don't know. I don't want to write a book. Right. That's You know, because I was worried about doing stand-up and all that kind of stuff. Right. But Amira was really like, no, no, no. That's a, It's a good idea. So Liz started sending me questions, and I was like, I, I would just give them to Amira to look at. Like, I did not want to be involved. And then Amira would write some answers, and I would go, well, that's not how I would say that. And then, right. so then I got kind of engaged. So the three of us sort of crafted it, and then I went and spent a lot of time with Liz, and we just put it together, you know, and... And so you yeah, put it, it together, and you're like, ah, oh, this will whatever, and it causes this massive sensation. Yeah. Like, the likes of which was totally unexpected. Yeah, completely. I mean, it was just all of these, like, you know, it, it was all of the thing, all of the, everything in the universe sort of came together. It was right. like, it had the pedigree of Sex in the City, it right. had the approval of Oprah, it had... Wait, I mean, me. how did Oprah get involved? She just liked it. Yeah, well, yeah I was on three times. Jesus Christ. So she's, she gets a hold of this book. She gets it. She got, it was like two weeks into publication... And, and no, it was two weeks before publication or something like that. And, and they said that Oprah wants to have you on the show. Jesus, yeah. But then we got there and they're like, she doesn't want Liz on the show, which was really difficult. Right. Because she's like, not that she doesn't like Liz, it's just that the she guy. wants you. Yeah. As a TV producer, they're like, you just sit up there and then people are going to ask you questions and you're just going to give them your fucking. Because that's how the book's set up. It's just yeah, me yeah, asking yeah. questions yeah. and then we both write paragraphs. But if not for Liz, the book would come off as condescending and unctuous. But the fact that Liz is there to say, I'm a girl and I'm telling you this right. is like Liz is sort of the genius of the whole book A it was her idea yeah. B she's in there like supporting the whole time she literally is like the like she's getting rebounds the whole fucking night and right. I'm shooting and I'm shooting three pointers like it's she's doing all the hard work right 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 so and I'm saying snarky things to cute girls and saying you know right so um we go back there and then, um, but we decided to do the show anyway because everyone thought it would be good for the book. Of course. And, um, and that's what I did. I was on for, you know, an hour. Because and no Liz, just you. Liz was there. Right. But they put me on stage right. and they didn't bring her up till afterwards. Right, right, right. So it was kind of, she was sort of shitty, but at the same time, like. Sells books. It I mean, it made books. the book like, so what, it was like number one on the New York Times yeah, yeah, yeah. for a long time? For like, from like that, so that was in September and I think it went, was number one almost all the way to Valentine's Day. That's so insane. On and off with John and Stewart's America. That was when that book right, came out. So right, it'd be right. like, we were back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Not bad. Not no, bad. No, it was great. It was cool. It was really well, cool. Well, and what's nice is you had all the stand-up training so that when you got to sit in Oprah's seat, you had been perfectly trained. Right. I like, I always tell the story that I wasn't nervous until I got there because I didn't kind of get it. Yeah. You know, and then 
I mean, I knew who Oprah was, obviously, because I'm alive. But I just, the cult I never, of Oprah—it's hard to understand. Yeah, it's weird. Like there, people yeah. don't believe it. I'm like, I didn't watch your show. Like this yeah. was never I my thing. I never this was not it. my destiny. Yeah. You know, this was not where I was headed. You right. Know? Um, you know, I, you know, there's that picture of the class right here. I'm like, that's what I kept thinking is going to happen to me. Right. Know, the right. whole time. And so even when I was a stand up, I'm like, that's what's going to happen right. to me. So I, um, I think it gave, made me more relaxed about it and it made it easier for me to just sort of be like, whatever, you know? Well, and it's like the thing we were talking about with dating, like the, the less you cling to the outcome, the less it's sort of translated into the less you care, the more likely it is to be successful. I think. I think so. I think it also like, you know, if you think about the bigger universe, I really think like there's a, there was a reason for it to come out. It was needed. Right. You know, and you know, of course there were feminists that didn't like it, which is so odd because I consider myself a feminist, but there was, you know, it, 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 but also there's, you know, it's, it's contempt prior to investigation. Yeah. You know, it's like when people are like, I don't like AA. You're like, well, you're, I guarantee you don't know what it is. Yeah, you exactly. Know what I mean? Exactly. You know? um, so, yeah, so then it just, you know, so then I was on and then they had us back again and then they had us back a third time and then Oprah wanted to do a deal for a TV show, but the money wasn't particularly great and, um, and then, and ABC then came Son- Sony okay. and said, you know, we'll give you a show flat out, blah, blah, blah. They followed, a, they followed, I was in Montreal doing stand up and Liz and I were doing these book shows where people will come out and ask questions on stage and, right. you know, they were like massive, like seven, eight hundred people. Wow. Girls, all girls. Yeah. And come down and they'd cry and, you know, I'd make them laugh and, right, right. you know, because they'd ask you silly questions. Right, and, you right. Know, and then it became like this thing that I got kind of caught up in, and I'm like, I guess this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But the whole time, I was never very comfortable with it. Right, right, right. You know, it didn't feel like being Joe Strummer. Yeah, I mean, I also relate to that because you know, for me, I was I was writing. Um, you know, before I got sober, I was getting fired a lot, mm-hmm. and then I got sober and I stopped getting fired, and I stopped, you know, started to. I was writing for magazines, and I wrote a story for Playboy. And it was this big deal, and they shot me for the magazine, not nude, but you know, whatever, scantily clad. Yeah. And um, and suddenly people are like, "You write for Playboy? You know a lot about sex." And I'm like, uh, "What?" And the, and and you come on our show, and it's like, "You're gonna pay me for that?" Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Right. Right. And I did it for three years, and I was giving people program. I was giving people exactly what I learned through AA. Right. And just reframing it as dating advice. And I always felt like a fraud. Yes. The thing. yes. Always. That's right. That's exactly that's that's my experience one hundred percent. I just felt like I'm reframing AA yeah. on on some level. Which is I mean, look, the the I mean, I know that like when you are in the program you sort of feel badly for people who don't have it because yeah. um there's just universal truths and there's just a different way of approaching things and then there's a program that you can work on your problems or your new right. relationships and all that kind of stuff. So it's nice to be able to sort of parcel that out into other things to be able to give it to somebody because you basically, you know, like I said, the whole book is like, you know, look at what's going on and be be real with uh, about what's actually happening and turn right. it over. It's right. nothing you can right. do. He, right. If he's not going to call, he's not going to call. And you're able to say to him, hey, listen, I like phone calls, so it'd be great if you called. And if you're not, maybe we should go... Because right. that's what I like, and so part of this relationship is me also getting what I want. Right. You know what I mean? And and you getting what you want, and if it doesn't work, and I think there's that's a very AA way of looking at you know, right? At right. and Alan Onish, you know. Yeah. yeah. So okay, sorry, we totally lost track. I lost track of sobriety. So you're sober, everything's happening. Suddenly you're on Oprah, mm-hmm. and you've got this big career that's totally different than yes. the one you had anticipated. Yeah. 
but things are quote unquote going well. Yeah, they're going well on on, on one level, but then um, it's going very fast, and you know, I've been given a talk show, I had a reality series, and but the whole time I was like, I don't, uh, I just, I don't know about this. Um, but I was trying to embrace it because yeah, I was like, well, this is what's showing up for me. Um, but when the ride was over, which was, you know, I mean, two, two years and a half years later, it just was over. Yeah. And I went back out to do stand up and, and a lot of guy. women would show up, but it was all women that were thinking it was going to be like more of a sex in the city kind of yeah. thing. And that's never what I did. And so then I felt kind of fucked about it. Yeah. And instead of working with it, I worked against it. And at that point, once my second daughter was born, I just drifted away from meetings. And it's just always the way it happens. It's like, you know, right. I didn't have a strong enough, I didn't have a strong enough, I never really got into it enough. Like I went to a lot of meetings and I did my steps, but I didn't really dig. And I had a sponsor and then he went out and then I had another sponsor and then I stopped getting sponsors and I just talked yeah. myself out of the program. I yeah. was just smarter and better than it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's losing the sponsor is when that's that's actually the danger zone. Yeah, you know? losing the sponsor, but for me, I have to go to meetings. Yeah. That's where my like everyone has different versions of it truly. Like for some people it is a connection with a sponsor, for some people it's making phone calls, for some people it's really working with others. You know, for me it's I have to be in that room. That's where it feels like I, I feel safe and comforted and I feel like I, I get this hour right. for just just to be here to listen to other people and just to be a part of this thing. It's super special and that makes me feel connected. And if I don't go to meetings I'm fucked. That's my thing. I still work as thing and I have a great sponsor but I have to go to meetings so what happened so at so then time? I mean so from like about 2004 2006 to now I just drifted from the program um, my career kind of got shitty um, and but then a couple things like like I started a band but not intentionally you know right. I went to take guitar lessons and then I need and then the guy that I took guitar lessons was also a friend, and then we started um, uh, like writing. I wanted a piece of music to go on stage to because I was doing a tour, and I wanted just to open. Like I wrote this thing called Fanfare for a Well Dressed Man. It was instrumental, and then we just started writing things, and all of a sudden the band came out of it again, sort of like with the right. with the book, where I was like, there was never a goal to be in a band. I even told the mayor when I left the house, I'm not starting a band. I'm 44. And yet, you've got the picture of the Clash over yeah. there, and you said... Yeah, well, the Clash picture, to me, this is what I look at all the time. Now, whenever I make a decision about something that I do, I go to that picture, and I, and I think to myself, do, is what I'm about to do have that much integrity? Hmm. Does it have that much... Not like, does it rock like that, but does it have that much integrity? Does it have a sense of purpose? Does it know what it wants to be? Is it? Do I feel right about it? Is it living inside of me, or am I doing it for financial reasons, or because I feel bad about myself, or I want to be popular, or I think I can reconfigure it into something else, which you can't. So anyway, I wow. drifted away from yeah. that kind of stuff, but the band was happening, and the podcast was happening, but none of them were really making money. My stand-up career started to sort of peter off because there were a lot of new guys, and the girls that would come out to see me didn't come back a second time because they liked the show, but they only wanted a hug. Right. And um, I lost a lot of dudes and all that kind of stuff. Right. So. Um, and I started to scrapple with depression and right. I wasn't going to meetings and then right. so one like two Christmases ago I got like Probably as close to suicidally depressed as I've ever been And where, do you do antidepressants or anything like no, that? No, I wasn't doing anything But you 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 didn't did you go to a therapist? No, 
you were just, just in it? Just white knuckling, okay. just figuring it out myself. And my solution was, uh, my, I, have, I have two, we had two, we only have now one, um, 17 year old dogs and they were both take tranquilizers. Right, right, right. And you I took a dog tranquilizer. Totally. Oh my god. It was like Christmas. Was it, it was like, Christmas, like ketamine? It's um hydrocodone, right? Oh that's a, so it's an opiate. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah. took not only did you relapse, you took medication from your old dog. Yes, and 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 that was never my thing. I just yeah. I drank. I mean I did everything but, I would but drinking you was for my a thing. Coke guy. You were not a Coke guy ever? No, I was, but not, not, that was never, I liked, um, uh, ecstasy was my, ecstasy was my thing. Like that, I like that. I like the, you know, let's all get in a pile and rub each other's hair. Like, right, I like that. Right. Like, I like all the lovey stuff. Right, I like right, all right. that, that kind of thing. And, um, but this was literally like, I have never been this depressed and I'm not connected with my wife and I, and I love my kids, but I'm just like, I, if I don't, I don't know. You know, I didn't have a solution. I didn't call my sponsor. I didn't do any of the right things. I did exactly what people do. I didn't know I was going to do it till the second after I took the pill. It just literally have. I walked by the pills and I realized, I didn't even know what they were, but I know somebody had walked by them like a month before and said, fuck, that's, your dog takes that? Right. right Holy right, right, shit, right. dude. So you knew that was good shit. Yeah. yeah. And then I took it and it just fucking was like, whoa, holy fuck. Everything went away. Really? You know, yeah. It was like, just like everything just got great for a moment. You know, and then, but then that's the beginning, you know, that's, you topple the first domino. Right. So now I'm a liar. Right. And so you don't tell anybody? No, fuck no. These are like my dreams. These are the dreams I have. No. And I, and so then I didn't take, so then I just took one and then that, that was fine. I didn't take another one. I'm like, okay, it was a dog pill and I, I rationalized yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Not even a human medication. It wasn't human medication, even though it's, it was. And the interesting thing about it is what I learned later is that because my dog's metabolisms work three times faster than human beings it's three times the amount that you would give a human being. Oh my God. So they were almost like Oxycontin. Like they were right. almost like, so then I took one another time. Right. Then I took one and a half another time. And so over a two year period, I just started using them more and more and more and more. And, but and the, you didn't even, you didn't tell your wife. I didn't tell anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're no, just doing it. Just like, I, just like a junkie. You're not going to meetings, so it doesn't even matter. I'm not going to meetings. Yeah. I'm not even pretending to be sober. Like, even when people call me for sober events, I'm like, you know what? I'm just super busy right now. Um, uh, you got somebody called and asked me to sponsor them. I'm like, you know, I'm, it's, no, it's not a good time. Right. You know, like, I wouldn't soil the program, I guess, if you, if you Right, will. right, right. Um, so That's I didn't, admirable. Yeah. I think, I think. I, I mean, kind of, but it was like, I just kept thinking... I you know you just lied to yourself. What were you like, thinking? Were you like, I'm gonna this is temporary or the program yes. was bullshit? You were never Both. like the program oh. Not bullshit, but like I guess maybe like bullshit. I don't know. I just right. I just was smarter than it. Like you're like, no, they don't really I don't know, I just started yeah. to look down on it and yeah. I just you know, I I I don't know. But I never here's what it was. I never connected the first time. I just did not connect with people. Like, even though I went to meetings, I just did not, I didn't have a home group. I wasn't known, really. Like, I didn't, like, I wouldn't go into rooms that would know me unless they knew me from entertainment. Did you speak at meetings and stuff like that? Occasionally. Right. Every once in a while. But I you didn't get, like, a sober crew. No, you didn't make sober friends. Or you did? I had a, no, I didn't have a crew. I had a few, I had a couple buddies. Right. But I didn't call them when all this happened. Right, right, right. And, um... And one of them got married and had a baby, and so then he was gone, and I never called my sponsor in the first place, so um, uh, I just sort of stayed out. But because it was manageable on on one level, that, you know, I wasn't like, 
driving into, you know, I wasn't like, you know. Right, driving off cliffs and. Right, but I was still taking hydrocodone, like, so I kept doing it and I kept, and, and, and I, it got more progressive, but then the come down from it yeah. was wicked. And I didn't know what I was taking, by the way. I didn't also yeah. didn't know what I was taking. You didn't do any Googling? No, no. I did. I, wow. I, I got as little information and, and looked wow. for as little help as possible. Yeah. To the point where I was in Montreal and I'm like, okay, I'm fucked up and I need help. So I went, I called the therapist and I'm like, I need help. But I didn't tell her either. And I, um, uh, but she was after like six or so weeks, she's like, you need to be on medication. So then I got on Lexapro mm-hmm. and then I got off of the hydrocodone. hydrocodone, but then I had a fight with my wife and I took a couple of them and then I put myself into treatment. Yeah. So you went so, to rehab. So I went and got like, yeah, so I went and, and so, and then, um, I went to like a refresher, like a two week. I didn't know they had that. It was like an outpatient situation. Yeah, and then okay. I and uh, and then start going to meetings. Yeah, and, and then but really like, really, I it just clicked. Yeah. Because I think I'd fucked things up a lot. I'd really fucked up my life. Like I really fucked up my marriage yeah. just by lying and right. you know like just not being connected to my kids. Like right. just you know like a drug addict. Right, right, Like, right. in a weird way, like in a manageable way, like nobody knew what was wrong, but everybody knew there was something wrong. I was sleeping a lot. Right. You know, I wasn't doing anything really. I could only get it together to put the band together. Like, I just sort of fucked up. Right. On a, a low grade level. Yeah. Fucked up. Yeah. And so when was that? So... When you went to the refresher? So that was in February. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And then you've been going to meetings like every four day? Week, four, four or five a week. week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I did... I did, I think, probably 75 and 90. I couldn't right, get 90 right, and 90 because right. I was done, on the... I've never done that. Yeah, no. 90 and 90 is, like, intense. It's intense. Yeah. It's intense. Um, and I, uh, and I, you know, got back in touch with my sponsor, and I'm in the middle of my four-step now. Oh, awesome. And, um, you know, I call strangers on the phone, and, like, you know, I do all of the... I just do the do, you know? And did you identify as new? Totally. Were, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And were people like, hey, dude, I thought you had a lot of time. No, no, because nobody knew me really. Yeah, I yeah. mean, a lot of people knew, again, a lot of people knew me just because of show business but or people see me around. And um, and when I was sober, I used to host, like, the map events and, you know, right. so I had a little bit of a profile in the sober world. Right, right, And I right. talked about it a little bit on my talk show. So I had a profile, but it was, uh, but it, you know, it was in some ways disingenuous, you know. Right, right, right. Um, uh, and that's probably also why I felt... I always just felt suspect about giving advice because I'm like, I'm not really doing the thing. Right, right. You know, and so, um, I must, I, it's on my phone, but I have like 150-something days or whatever it is now. Right. And it's just different. It's hard to explain. You know, I mean, I'm not making any promises because you don't, but I'm like, I, I go to meetings and I see people and they know my name and I've got commitments at meetings. Like, I waited to cancel the other day because I was like, yeah. oh, I got a, I'm the greeter. So I have to be there a half hour early, and right. then I've got a timer commitment at another meeting, and That's awesome. you know I try to like just be in it. Yeah, in the middle of it, as they say. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think that that's, I think that's really helpful. I mean, I think that that happens, you know, I've been lucky enough to not get a life, I'm kidding, but like, I've, I haven't had anything that's taken me away from it. Right. And I've remembered, you know, I'm going to be 13, whatever, God willing, 13 yeah. years in November. And it's like, and, and I just, I have very rarely been through a phase where I haven't liked going to meetings. Right. And, and I think that that's, I just feel so lucky. Well, it's, it's, I also like you know, there's the meetings are really close to my house. Yeah, are right there? down on Moore Park. So I'm like, oh, and oh yeah, and everybody loves long. that. And I, the three o'clock one's my favorite because it's the least crowded. And somebody's like, somebody the other day they go, they, a friend of mine goes, those are like the Shutter Island meetings, dude. Like there's <laughs> fucking crazy people in there, and I'm like, I know, but they're awesome. Like I feel really connected to them. And there's old people and young people, but it's not that hip. But it's still like. You know, there's some old actresses and there's some old actors and there's some weirdos, but it's fucking awesome and I love them and I get and every time I see them I feel warm inside and different than I did before. Yeah. And I like being in that room and I always come out of there feeling good and I never regret going and um and so I'm hoping that it it sticks. Yeah. You know, and like I said, for me I have to go to meetings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, about the crazies, you know, it's like the whole thing is, you know, about LA is like, how is everyone driving around in the middle of the day? Why doesn't anyone have jobs? But it, the people who are free to go to, to meetings in the middle of the day, granted, I'm one of them, mm -hmm. are often the craziest of the crazy. Yeah, right. You I know? mean, I'm fucking crazy. I took dog pills. Like, that yeah. was my solution. Like, that's yeah. the thing about it is, like, that was my, <clears throat> like, that was my best thought. Yeah. on that day which is like that's miles from what I know you know and so um, but it can happen and that's the thing it's like you, you know I, I'm certainly not sanctimonious about it but it's like you know you hear this stuff in meetings all the time but if you're not doing it that, you know yeah and you start to what, I think the danger is that it starts to become so normal you stop forgetting that you're actually grappling with a fatal illness no, left totally. untreated. Right. You know? Right. Right. You think, oh, you know, these are my friends and we're just talking and it's so fun and, and you I forget all the time. No, totally. And it and it's um uh Oh and look and you just showed me your tattoo. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but Faith Without Works is dead. Is that is that since February? No, I've had that. That is yeah. ironic. Yeah. No, it's, but it's that's that it, it 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 has so much more meaning now. Yeah. Because it's just like this one. It's just a reminder. Dress better. <laughs> right. All right. It's just a reminder to like you know look where it got you. Like at the end, I don't know if you can see that, but there's a little skull. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like that's where you'll end up is dead, and that's what you know that's what happened. It was right there on my fucking arm, and I didn't. You know what I mean? Like. Right. Because it's not about platitudes. It's about fucking connecting with other human beings and them needing you and you needing them. Yeah. You know, because the community is where it all comes together. That's what the, the, we're all, I think one of the things that people forget about this trip is like, it's like, we're all supposed to be together. Right. We're supposed to be sharing. You right. know, it's supposed to be like the Greeks, like we're all supposed to be talking about what's going on. We're not meant to isolate. In isolation, people kill themselves. That doesn't mean don't go for a run by yourself. Right. Don't take those moments because they're important, but they, you need less of those and more community. That's why I, I kind of. Somebody was like, I thought you quit stand-up. And I was like, I just couldn't be alone anymore. Right. So I quit stand-up. I love doing stand-up. I don't want to go sit in a hotel by myself. That's a bad, boring place to be. Right. But if I'm in a band, 
and people. I got people to be around. People. Like with Dave, if I'm doing something on my podcast, then it's just me and Dave. You know what I mean? Like it's us yeah. together working on something. The community thing is so important. Huge. Um, and that's why I feel lucky in, in that, you know, normal people or whatever you want to call them don't actually have a place where they go unless they're like really into church or whatever it is where you're going to go, you're going to connect, you're going to be able, you know, it's free mm-hmm. and you can talk about, you know, the crazy shit in your head and people are going to like have to listen. They pretty much have to. Yeah. There's right. no other place on earth that's right. like that, you right. know, yeah. that's free. That's free, and it's also self-governing. I mean, there is, I think, part of what <clears throat> happened with podcasting at the beginning was it did, and it's probably still, it did become a community. Like, like people who listen to podcasts felt that they were as special as people who were podcasting. Yeah. And so when you'd have podcast events, or like when people come to our walking room events, they we all have a secret. Right. We all share a certain thing. I mean, it has right. a lot to do with Dave and I, but we're also open to the fact that, like, you know, our whole thing is like we're just our audience is just filled with broken geniuses right. really fucked up people who are very very smart that are really right. misunderstood right. and so they feel a sort of kinship with us because that's the right. way we feel and I think there is that is community on some level right. Right. and I think that's why people are so connected to these things you know what I mean there are people that you know get something I mean I've gotten stuff out of listening to Marion's podcast whether yeah. it was Mark or one of his guests yeah no it's you know? true and then it's I true. feel like oh I'm part of that bigger community of comedy and I am a part of that and that's something I do and I feel special when I listen to Mark's thing because I connect with Louis C.K. or even understand something Carlos Mencia has been through we may right. not see eye to eye but I go oh yeah that happened to me too. you know what I mean like because right. we all share this similar Right, right, right. No, I think that community aspect is really interesting. I hadn't really thought of that. But And it's also because it's kind of the same people. It's so incestuous. It's like, this guy's on this podcast, and then he comes on that guy's podcast. And it's right. like sort of, Paul of Tompkins, you know. Yes. You, that you start to feel like, yeah, like you you know that community. So, so like, and they'd be nice to you if you met them. You right. know, like that's the way you feel as a listener. Right, no, totally. And the, and the, and that they're giving you free content, we're giving you free content, right? And then you're supporting us on, in other ways. So it's like there's this sort of exchange that's very personal. We're not just on your radio, right? We're not somebody. We didn't select this. You did. Yeah. You didn't get stuck with the ten radio stations that you have. Right. You went and found us. So yeah. like a lot of times, like if someone says something they don't like about the show, Dave's like, "Go fuck yourself." Right. I make a free podcast. Don't tell me what I can and can't talk right. about. You know. Right. I'm sure you feel the same way. Where you're like, right. "This is what I do. Right. This is how I do it." And right. you can leave at any time you want. Yeah. You know, I'm not in your way. You know, most people are listening through headphones. Like, it's they're not even, it's not even like collateral damage. Right, right, you know, right. It's not like you're being forced to listen to somebody's podcast. But it's, it's such a nice antidote to the, the world, the internet world we've created, which is anonymous commenters being so nasty. Right. You know, here, this is the opposite. This is like spreading positivity. I mean, there's very few people who go, I, I think, and like go listen to a podcast enough to go write nasty things about it. You know right. what I mean? If you're listening to right. it, you're into it. You went to the trouble. I also feel like we're at a point now where we've hit, there's like a watershed moment of like, the nasty stuff doesn't really matter anymore because we all know to expect it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, I we, mean, all, and we all know not to go look for it. So yeah, but if you, know, if you accidentally stumble on something mean, I mean, does it hurt you? Sure, but not for very long. Right, right. You know, right. I mean, you know, if you cut me, if you prick me, do I not bleed? Of course. Right. But I, but I also understand where it's coming from. Right. You know, I realize like there's just a world of trolls. You know, yeah. and those are, you know, they, 
smart, interesting people who are who I'm hoping I, to connect to don't have time to sit around and write shitty things because they have cool lives. Right. Right. So if the guy that spends all day trolling people doesn't like me, you think I give a fuck? Right. He can right, go fuck right. himself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, that's, you know, right. he's got no life. Like, I have to say a prayer for him and hope that his life gets better because, you know, who cares? And so they become, they've almost nullified themselves because they're a fact. They're like the wind. They happen. Right. And they're meaningless. Right. Nobody isn't going to see Mark Marin because somebody wrote something shitty about him in a message board. Right. Nobody's not going to go see the Reigning Monarchs because someone in the surf community doesn't feel like they're an actual surf band. Right. Doesn't fucking matter. Right. It right. used to matter because there were very few places where people could write about you, and if they did, it seemed to have an impact. Right. Now it's everywhere. Yeah. Blogs don't even for a while. It was like the blogosphere. Now people don't care about the blogosphere. They care about Twitter. Yeah. And anybody can have a Twitter account. Right. So it's sort of. Right, they cancel each other out a little bit. And it's never somebody cool. It's rarely somebody of worth at saying something shitty about you. You know right. what I mean? It's right. rarely somebody. It's not like John Cleese just said, you're not funny. And you're like, oh, that but if, hurts. But if we're all children of God, as we learn in AA, and right. we're all the same. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, essentially. That it's it's people. I think it's just people exacting revenge on someone from their past. Like, they hate you because you are doing something, A. That's biggest part you're doing something right and they're not and that makes them very mad but it's also the thing of like there are things that I don't like for I don't even know why right and if I was if I had the time I suppose in or the no inclination, self-awareness you would write that exactly I would write you something wouldn't, like because you'd know it makes you feel bad to do right it. and also I'm not really sure why I don't like it yeah. Like a lot of times, I'm like, "Where is this coming from?" Like, right. I'm, a, I'm, I, I'm not that evolved, but I'm evolved enough to know, you know, my hatred of Radiohead is not about Radiohead. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm mad at other people for getting it, and yeah. that makes me feel small. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, and I don't hate Radiohead, but that's an example of something that like makes you. I hated the Strokes when they came out, and they're my, they're, they're probably my, they're one of my very favorite bands in the whole world. But I hate that everyone liked them, that you're supposed to like them, and, right. and fuck you, and your little tight pants, and you know, like I just had right. some, and it, I don't know where it came from. I had to look, I was like, what is happening to you? Like, where is this coming from? And where are the Strokes today, by the way? I haven't uh, heard that name in a long time. No, they made a record this year. Nobody cared except for me. Um, okay, wait, so, so I have just a couple more things to do. Yeah. You've been awesome. No, this is great. So, so good. Okay, there's two things I want to do. One is a game. Okay. Jimmy Pardo, who I just recently listened to him on your yeah. podcast. Yeah. He did not think this game was that fun. But, um. He's, he's grumpy. He's grumpy. I so love cool. That, that guy is so funny. Fuck, is he funny? Yeah. He that's is, my favorite of your podcast. He is the live one. No, no, you're not live. You're in the studio. You're in the closet. Oh. Oh. Do you have him on many times? No, we just did a live one with him and Dana Gould, and it was among one of the best nights I've had in my life. He's just just whip smart and so funny. Yeah. In the He's, moment, yeah. off the cuff. Unbelievable. Um, one of my favorite people in the whole world. Um, okay. So he said it wasn't that fun because he didn't get the answer right. Okay. So I, I have two questions related to addiction um, and drugs and alcohol. And okay. I'm going to give you three possibilities and you're going to guess. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to give you a quote. And okay. one of these three people said it. The quote is, I've never had a problem with drugs. I've had problems with the police. Okay. So, that person who said it was either A, Keith Richards, mm -hmm. B, Charlie Sheen, mm -hmm. C, Amanda Bynes. 
uh, Keith Richards. Nice. Yeah. That's it. That's that the game. That Don't you it? feel good? I do feel good. Did about your dopamine rise? I, a little you bit. Got it right. A little bit. Yeah. Okay, and I feel like I okay. This one, I, I'm rooting for you on this one too. I have okay. a good feeling. Okay. According to one study, trace amounts of cocaine can be found on blank out of every five blank out of every five dollar bills in circulation. Five, okay, I'm not reading it right. So yes. we're talking about dollar bills, we're not talking about five dollar bills. Okay, right. so let me read this different again. According to one study, trace amounts of cocaine can be found on four out of every five dollar bills in circulation. I just fucked up. Did you give me the answer? I did. It's four out of five. <laughs> would you have guessed one out of every five, three out of, and you know the answer, so you don't know what you would have guessed. I would have said one out of every five. Right? Because four out of every five is a whole lot. That's a lot of cocaine. It sucks that I fucked it up. It's a lot of cocaine, though, and that means, and it's gross. Um, but I have, a, I have an explanation. Because cocaine is a fine powder and is easily spread around, presence of the drug does not necessarily mean the bill was used as a snorting straw. Oh, please. What else was it used to wipe it up? <laughs> I've spilled my cocaine, and the only thing I can wipe it up with is this dollar bill. I don't know, but I had many, many years that, that horror of, like, you're trying to pay for something. I don't know if you ever had that, yeah, and, you're yeah. like, and you're like, ew, ew, yeah, ew. And then yeah. the credit card that you take out, and you're like, oh, shit, what yeah, the hell Yeah, so that gross. And you find those rolled-up ones just in the bottom of your pants, like, in your pocket, and you're like, yeah, oh, like, oh my, my, I'm a loser. Yeah, that's the thing. I think the reason I stopped doing cocaine was I didn't like the, I didn't like the, um, the way I felt afterwards. Yeah. Ecstasy, I could usually breeze out of somehow, but with with uh, you can't with, avoid the come down with coke. With cocaine, yeah, it's just gross and nasty, and you bullshitted with somebody you hated, and you, you compromised everything about you as a person by like being friends with a racist for one evening because everyone had coke. You know what right, I mean? Like, right, you're right. Like, oh, it's like such a compromising drug. Yeah. I feel like with ecstasy, I felt like this is just amplifying what I already feel about you, but it's giving me the courage to touch your cheek. <laughs> like it's really like I just want to rub my head on your sweater. Like, I, I'm saying the things that I definitely feel about you, but now I'm going to say them. You know what I mean? Like That's I how always, cocaine felt to me in the good years. I, to me, I felt like I would literally be in my head going, you don't mean a fucking word of this. Like, oh, I would you be knew like, at the time. Oh, yeah, but like making plans to go to Burning Man with someone I've never <laughs> met. You know, like, oh, yeah, we should go to Burning Man, dude. We'll get the band down. You know, but like with, with ecstasy, I always felt like I just, because I do sort of, I genuinely am pretty... Um, pretty positive and I yeah. genuinely love everybody like yeah. I genuinely like that's when I feel best is when I like you know what I mean like that's the thing that's the dopamine rush I actually get sometimes from an AA meeting where I'm like I fucking this guy I hated him when I came in yeah. this meeting because he talked too much and now I can't he said he knows my name and I just said he just said and he just said something so profound yeah and this he's guy, here every day and he's friend. really fucking trying like he yeah. needs this why am I you know what I mean and so I get a rush from that so yeah. I definitely that kind of thing turns me on right you know? right right you know? I was not an ecstasy person I always just kind of found it like uh, sort of like why bother I don't know yeah cocaine was my thing I you know it. until I it really it. wasn't right um Okay, now we um, are going to take a question that I got over Twitter. Okay. From at Drink Your Craft, Drink Your Craft. Uh huh. And he says, "What's the best and most challenging part of sobriety? I'm on day one." The most. What is the best and most challenging? Yeah, it's a two part. Okay. What's the best part and what's the most challenging part of sobriety to somebody who's on day one? The best part for me is not feeling great. It's not feeling rotten. Yeah. Like, that's one of the things you learn when you get sober. It's like, I don't really want to go up, up, up again. 
I really want to not feel shitty. There's a really beautiful place and just like, I can just breathe and there's a little money in my pocket and everything's going to be okay. Right. You know what I mean? I'm going to get through, like, it's, I, you know, I'm not elated. Right. I haven't been promised some amazing thing. Right. I'm just like that. And the most challenging thing I think is, is, uh, I think just it's, it's challenging if you try and look down the road. Yeah. You know, like future tripping is like the most challenging thing. Like, how am I going to do this for so long? And how's this going to happen? And what if I, like, there's so many roadblocks you can create for yourself or landmines that you're going to step in when you don't have to worry about any of that. All you have to do is just get to the next hour. That's yeah. It. Yeah. At the beginning, just get to lunch. Yeah. And then get to dinner and then go to bed and then try it again tomorrow, you know, and make up like I would always say to people, just drink, drink tomorrow. Think about drinking tomorrow. Yeah. Like yeah, totally. Yeah. You're not going to drink today. Yeah. But tomorrow you're going to fucking get wasted. Right. Yeah. And then tomorrow we'll wake up and we'll say, well, maybe we'll just put it off one more day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can always do it tomorrow. You can always do it. It's not going away. They're not right. going to get rid of booze. So it's, you have that right. option and just sort of knowing it's there. Sometimes when you're in, like when I'm, when, sometimes when I've really got my, my food situation taken care of, I'm just happy knowing that there's hamburgers. Right. I don't right, say right. I have to have, fantasizing right. about it is almost as good as having them. Right, right, right. Because I'm feeling right. good about not having one. Right. right Just there. knowing I can have it. Well, because it's the it's the this is off limits for good thing that makes everyone panic, Impossible. especially an addict. Yeah, and it's just too hard to do that to yourself. It's yeah. not fair, and also it you can't actually do that. Right. It's the same thing with marriage. I right. cannot be married to you forever. Right, but you can. I can today. try and make it to midnight. Right, 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 right. Or you might want to try and make it to midnight. Right, right. Okay, this is awesome. Now, people can find you on Twitter. At Gregory Barrett, full Gregory. Yes. Um, and then... Um, and Barrett, just in case they don't know, how could they not know? But it's spelled kind of in a challenging it's, yeah, way. Yeah, it's totally challenging. It's stupid. I should have changed my name to Dane Cook when I had the chance. <laughs> it's B-E-H-R-E-N-D-T. And if you don't know, how, like if that, you didn't hear that, just Google. He's just not that into you. Um, and then... Um, and then walkingtheroom.com is the... Walking the Room is the podcast, walkingtheroom.com. It's available on iTunes, SoundCloud. We're on the All Things Comedy Network. And you have lots um, of cool shirts. And um, and then Astoy Merchandise is where we sell our clothes. I sell the merchandise for the Raining Monarchs, which is my band, at Raining Monarch, or therainingmonarchs.com. Uh, we're making a brand new record that comes out in September. And uh, the new single, Murder Your Summer, comes out next week. Oh, wow. And, um, and buy the book, um, It's Just a Fucking Date. It's Just a Fucking Date. Yeah. Solid, solid information. And, and if you're, funny. and if you're, and if you're, and if you are sober, you'll get it. Like, the kind of cool thing is that people that are sober sort of go, well, this is like program stuff. And you're like, right. oh, yeah, it's. But if you're not sober, you're going to get it too. You're just not going to know that it's. You're not going to know. Yeah. 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 Get the book. I'm, I'm reading it right now and really enjoying it. Um, and thank Greg, thank you so much. No, this is awesome. Okay.